Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. So welcome everyone to our episode of Lead to Succeed and we have Paul Glover with us. Now I think you're going to be really interested to hear Paul's story and his views on leadership. He is a no BS work performance coach. He's based in Chicago. He's a recovering trial lawyer. Now I've just said to Paul, we've got something in common and it's not that we're a recovering trial lawyer, it's that we're both um, Starbucks addicts. So if I can get a Starbucks, I'm very happy. He's the author of Workquake, a book dedicated to those in the work environment who want to go from survival mode to really flourishing and thriving. So a very big welcome to you, Paul. Would you like to add to that intro at all? No, not at all, Rebecca. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be talking to you and to your audience. Thank you. Awesome. Well, pleasure to have you on the podcast, Paul. Thanks for taking the time out to, to join us. Um, you know, we've got a, you know, I think we've got a lot of interesting topics to, to cover in the podcast today, a bit about your, you know, your previous roles and some of your experience and, and kind of tying that in with those topics. Um, but to kick things off, just kind of we ask this question to most of our guests, just to sort of um, set a bit of a baseline. So in terms of uh, in terms of leadership, what do you what do you what would you say like good leadership looks like to you? Well, I, I can tell you that I believe that that two essential elements for anyone who wants to be in a leadership position uh, are first, you have to be an empathetic listener. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to the point now of where proactive listening is no longer enough. The, the pandemic put an end to that. You now have to be an empathetic listener. And that means that you approach your team and the people that work with and for you with a different question. And it's not how are you doing, but it's how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. I believe that that's the lead anymore. And that has really caused uh, leaders a lot of consternation. Uh, in the United States, especially, leaders were never told to become personal. In fact, they were told not to be. And I now believe that uh, that the concept of professional and personal has blurred. The line is now blurred and you will cross over if you're going to be effective as a leader. Uh, obviously, I don't believe you should be intimate, but I do believe that being personal now is absolutely a requirement uh, for leadership. And the second thing is you have to be perpetually curious. Uh, leaders, who are not curious will not lead well. Uh, I, I also tell my uh, those in my coaching program, you should always be looking for trouble because it's there, it's just hidden. And until you do the psychological safety necessary, establish that zone that allows people to actually tell you about the trouble, uh, you've got to look for it. And looking for it is being curious. And I the, the concept of perpetual curiosity and empathetic listening are the two skill sets that leaders now have to work in a new environment uh, to be effective. Mm. I think the empathy side of things is, is really interesting, Paul. And I, I get there's, there's quite a difference, isn't there, between like hearing what's being said, as you said, active listening, and then actually having like empathetic listening. Um, what, what do you think is like the best way for someone to, 
to really put themselves in that in the other person's shoes and really like dive down to that kind of deeper well, understanding what they're saying and how they feel. Well, I think it does start at the top. I do believe that uh, that leaders are the model, the example, and it cages down. And so the concept of uh, of starting to get this process in in flux so that it does actually influence the rest of the organization requires practice. It's not that people can't do this. It's not leaders can't do this. It's that they, they haven't figured out that it's a part of the leadership uh, complex now. And uh, the, the concept is you do it. It's it, To me, it, 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 I don't believe the leadership is as difficult as we want to make it. It's that we're as difficult as we make it. And leaders make it hard on themselves. So if I were to say, give you a, a, an example. Whenever I'm dealing with a, a manufacturing operation that has a third shift and I'm talking to the uh, owner of the company or the president, uh, the, one of the first questions I ask him is, when are we on the third shift? And of course, it's crickets because they don't want to get up at midnight and go to the third shift. And then I give by the way, I'm sarcastic by nature and I get sarcastic. I say, so they're really not your employees, right? This is a different company on the third shift. They're like, well, no, of course. oh, okay. I said, then you need to get your lazy butt up and go to the third shift. Don't tell them you're coming. You need to show up unannounced. I said, now they are going to call the police because they'll think you're an intruder. So until you do that, though, and then go in, sit down, don't, don't have your managers with you, don't tell the supervisors you're coming, sit down in the lunchroom and wait till the, the employees come in and sit down. Now, the third time you do this is when they start to believe that you are serious about asking their opinion, about doing the curiosity and the empathetic listening. Up until then, no. So you practice. You go in and you let them know that you're there specifically because you want to hear from them their opinion about how things are and the impact it's having. Uh, my wife and I actually uh, figured out that when our boys, two boys, got to the age of maybe seven, they stopped being afraid of the mom look. You know that look what mom gives you and they, and when you're four, you just, you wilt, you confess. Well, we realized that, that at some point they figured out mom couldn't read their minds. So they stopped being afraid. We instituted free night once a month. Free night was you could sit down with us after dinner and you could tell us anything that you wanted to, and we would not react negatively. I believe you treat employees like that. When you go in and you say, listen, this is psychological safety time, and I'm going to keep coming here uh, telling you that until you engage with me. Because if we don't invite them to do that, they're not going to do it on their own. So, so when you say, how do you start this? You start this by actually doing it. And as you do it, you will get better at it because you're going to see results. Once leaders see results, they will they will continue the behavior. What, what amazes me about this, Paul, is that this is something that companies should be have been doing years ago, not right now. And we see those programs where somebody goes in in, in disguise, the chief exec goes in disguise to see what's really happening at the grassroots level of the business. And I look at that and I think, wow, you should have known that years ago. It shouldn't take a TV program where you dress up as somebody else to go in and find out what's really happening on the shop floor. And it amazes me that it's still happening this way in so many organizations. But, you know, sometimes we 
Yeah. People need to recognize this and make a change. And it's great that you're encouraging and saying all of this because it's so needed in business. Um, one of the things that you, sorry, Cam, I did interrupt you there. I think no, your flow. Um, we, we wanted to talk about the three A's of employee engagement being attraction, attention and appreciation. So which one of those do you feel that approach falls into and why? Well, I, first, the three, once again, I'm too simple. Uh, I don't believe engagement is as difficult as we want to pretend it is. Uh, and the three A's are the very simple solution I came up with in my coaching program to start the leaders to do the engagement process. And uh, the first thing is the leader is the example of positivity. And attraction is about that. It's not you physically look good. It's that you you are a positive person. You are the person that exudes energy. I, I call the CEOs the chief energy officer. And employees, especially after the pandemic or through the pandemic, needed that transfer of energy. So the attraction part of it is you put yourself out there, you're vulnerable, you're authentic, and you're engaging. You are curious. You are listening. So the attraction you set the stage with attraction that will pull people to you we are attracted to positive people we want to be around people who are actually competent not only competent but actually are doing something we see the action and and we want to be a part of that process i i tell most leaders look at yourself as if you are on the hero's journey and you want other people to join you on the journey and this is a journey that you need to be able to describe. You need to be able to tell people about the journey and make them want to join. And by the way, you also need to understand that without adversity, there is no hero. If, if it wasn't for the wolf, Little Red Riding Hood would have just had an interesting walk in the woods. So, so you've got to be able to say, we are going to have adversity and setbacks and we're going to be resilient. I'm gonna show you this. The attraction sets the stage. Uh, then, then of course, we, we have two other elements of the three A's. Uh, and the first one is attention. If you pay attention to me, I will respond, assuming you're paying attention to me in a positive fashion. And attention is I'm gonna spend time with you. I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to do what we have never done before. We're going to develop a relationship. Leadership has in the United States has been based on transactions. I pay you and you give me so many hours of your time, not your work, your time. And that's how we've structured the workplace. That's not working anymore. What we need to do is stop being transactional and become relationship-based. And I get that, and, and the relationships develop because of the attention I'm willing to pay you. And then we get to the third A, which is appreciation. We will say thank you to a stranger in a restaurant that passes us the salt. And yet we are so stingy with appreciation to the people who are generating the revenue, profit, and productivity that we count on for the success of our organization. We just don't do it. And the reality is when you end the work week, a hard work week, and you go, see you on Monday, it's an invitation back to hell. Don't say that. 
Tell them how much you appreciate the fact that they were with you on this journey through this very difficult week and you still see purpose and you still see that we're together and we're being successful. That to me is it. It is such a simple process and yet the biggest issue I hear from people, my my own people in my coaching board, I don't have time for that. And I tell them, you don't have time for anything else but that. If you're spending time doing anything but the three A's, do not expect engagement because you're not going to get it. And every time you look at a spreadsheet, behind that number is a face. And if you don't know that face and what motivates that person to be with you on the hero's journey, you're not going to get the number. It's, I'm sure some companies are very good at doing some of those things, Paul. I'm sure there's others that perhaps aren't or leaders within those businesses. But what do you think it is for those that maybe don't do those things? Do you think it's because, I know you mentioned they maybe think they don't have time, but do you think it's because they maybe see that as like a bit of a soft approach or they're not necessarily aware of it? Or, or, or what do you think it is? Why, like, why isn't everyone doing this? Because command and control is easier than anything else. All I want to do is tell you what to do and then beat you if you don't do it. And that's the easiest way to manage, isn't it? It's not the most successful. It's not the most productive. Why do you think most leaders want everyone back in the workplace? When work from home absolutely is appropriate for 40% of the workforce. No, no, no. You have to go. Why? I want to watch you. I want, and you've tripped a trigger with this. Here we are, we're working at home and I'm producing for you. And you know what you do next? You put spyware on my computer. 78% of, of companies have now put spyware. All you've told me is you do not trust me to do my job. And I find it interesting because if you go on Amazon now and you type in ways to, ways to defeat spyware, there are now all sorts of interesting little ways. For instance, if you've got your mouse, there's now a pad that will keep moving the mouse around on its own so that it looks as if you're continuing to do keystrokes. You're continuing to research. Do you understand that every time you treat someone like you don't trust them, that's they become untrustworthy. So no, it's a concept of command and control is not dead. I actually just finished a piece for Forbes that, that there, we are in the time of extinction of managers. No one wants to be managed. They want to be led. And if you want to manage someone, they're going to push back against you. We always have. But, but now it is more pronounced because people discovered that man, being managed is irritating. And if you want, you can pay people for their time. You never pay them for anything else. You never pay them for effort. And if you want discretionary effort, that's given voluntarily. No one can buy that. They either want to give you discretionary effort or they don't. So the relationship that you have with them will dictate whether or not you get that discretionary effort, which makes all of the difference in the success of an organization. There's, sorry, I know you probably asked a question, but there's, there's one thing I'd quite like to just dive into a bit more on that, Paul. You mentioned there about people don't want to be managers now. They, they don't want to be managed. They want to be led. I'd be quite curious to get your opinion on what you think the difference between kind of those two things are like actually for real in a business, because that's a topic we've kind of discussed in a number of other episodes and guests have shared their opinion. But I'd be quite curious to see like how in kind of the real world, like how that actually actually kind of manifests itself. What are, what are your sort of thoughts on that? 
Well, well, managing to me is uh, I, I'm going to, by the way, command and control is all about managing. Managing is I'm, I'm going to watch you. Listen, I have an experience uh, that, that very few other coaches that I know have, and that is that I went to prison because of bad behavior. I spent my time in prison. And let me tell you that a lot of companies treat their employees as if they are prisoners. And you know what the managers are? The managers are the guards. They're the overseers. They're not there to be able to improve anything. They're there to make sure that everybody's sitting at their seat in front of their computer at a specific time and they stay there until it's quitting time. That's it. They don't do anything else. And interestingly enough, Gallup does employee engagement uh, surveys on an annual basis. They also do a manager engagement survey, which nobody pays any attention to. Curiously, the level of engagement for managers is the same as the level of engagement for employees. Shocking that that would be the case. Well, of course it would be the case. If your managers are not engaged, why would you expect anybody on their team to be engaged? So the concept of management has got to, is, is gone. It will not survive. The pandemic has shown people a better way. Leading is, I'm going to coach you. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to facilitate. I'm going to mediate. And I'm going to make sure that you get the development that you tell me you need and the company wants or you want the company needs. Uh, so, so the distinction to me is, you know, we used to have this thing about, well, you know, it bleeds over one into the other. You know, you manage and you lead and you lead. And, no, that's not true. Never has been true. And it's not true now. They're, they are not the same. They don't share any of the same qualities. What I find amazing is that Artificial intelligence and automation will eliminate 70% of the job duties for managers. They are going extinct. And I'm pleased to see them go. Oh, sorry, did that sound too enthusiastic? No. <laughs> they need to go away. If the managers aren't engaged, that means the leaders aren't leading well, because the leader should be enabled to help that engagement process. So it starts with the leaders. So what are the leaders in your mind not doing correctly that's preventing the managers from being engaged? Well, first, I, if, if you want engage, the concept of asking somebody to stop managing, which is command and control, and start leading, start coaching, start start mentoring, start doing the things that employees will respond to, requires that you actually spend some time allowing them to get the training and develop to be able to do this. Right now, we don't give managers the skill sets necessary to be anything other than prison guards. So yeah, it is leadership that's not getting this, right? And Leaders believe that they can just pay more money and the great resignation is going to stop. Well, keep keep giving people money because no one turns money down, but that's not why people are there anymore. So no, you're absolutely, you're spot on with this, Rebecca. It is leadership at the top who are not, just don't realize that the world is changed because you know what everybody's hoping in leadership? That we revert back to pre-pandemic the good old days when everybody wasn't paid appropriately, right? And think about this, part of that for four decades, the, the employee in America saw their, their standard of living drop. 
even though the companies were generating massive amounts of profit, it wasn't being shared. You know what? The great resignation is employees saying, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And they're not. And when you don't recognize that and make the decisions that you're going to have a relationship that is mutually beneficial by treating the employee as a stakeholder, not an employee anymore. I don't want to be your employee. I want to be one of your stakeholders. And because of that, I expect to be treated differently than an employee. I expect to share. I will give you my time and my effort and my discretionary effort if you treat me like a, a stakeholder. Recognize my needs. Hear my voice. Respect my opinion. It's a shifting of power, I think, is what you're talking about here, Paul. It's been unbalanced. And now it's shifting to be a more balanced approach where each person plays their part in the success of the business and each person is equal. And it's a flattening of um, structures in a way, but we are all together in this as an approach. So, one, do you agree with that? And secondly, if you're a leader, what three practical pieces of advice would you want to share with them? So they move in the right direction and adjust their leadership accordingly to the shifts that we're, we're seeing. Well, first, I absolutely agree with what you said, that it is a flattening. And by the way, it was not done voluntarily. Leaders did not do this because they suddenly said there's a better way. No. <laughs> forced into this situation. And now they recognize that they have to respond. Uh, the, the pieces of advice I would give, well, I've already given some of them, but I would also suggest that you be present. That that if you want to be a want your employees to be a part of your organization, you need to be present. You need to be in the moment. Do not shelter in your office. Get rid of your office. <laughs> Don't have an office. Rome, Rome. I, and what are you doing in there? I can never figure out what they're doing. Well, I'm reading another report. Well, screw that. That's not what's generating profit for you. Believe me, profit is generated on the work floor in the office where everybody is or at home. And I find it so interesting that, that we've decided that remote work is too difficult for us to be able to engage employees. That is just so much BS, I can't stand it. You know what, you don't wanna put the extra effort into the, the, the way that you're gonna engage, right? Is this the most, look, we're, you can obviously tell I'm engaged in this conversation. You've asked the right questions. You are perpetually curious. You've asked for my opinion. And do I have any problem giving it to you? No, why would I? And the reality is your employees, if you're a leader, are exactly the same. Once they recognize you care enough, it doesn't matter whether we're doing this remote or we're sitting in a room next to each other. But you've got to be willing to spend the time. You've got to be in that moment. You've got to make sure that they understand that you like them, you're concerned about them, and you're going to take care of their needs. This is, I, it, believe me, if I had a secret sauce, you and I wouldn't be talking. I'd have my mega yacht next in the south of France. No, this is so simple. And when I coach, I coach this because everyone needs to understand. By the way, let me tell you an exercise. We were ta talking about things that, that 
I require, and I did pre-pandemic, and I'm getting back to it, that everybody in my coaching program takes an improvisation class. My wife and I took one pre-pandemic, and I am terrible at it. Why? I do not give. I take. That's why I went to prison. I was a taker, and my wife is a giver. And the reality is that improvisation forces you to become a giver because you don't know where improv is going to go. You have a stranger. You're engaged in this, this moment, and you give to the other party so they can participate, and then they give back to you. And it is one of those strange things that changes the way your, your, your mind is wired. If you do improv, it changes the way you look at other people, changes you. So those are the things, the practical things, practice, back to what we said about earlier. It's all about practice. This is not unusual things. The skill set is a learned skill set, just like command and control has been learned. Is it hard though? Absolutely. I tell people the coaching journey is the hardest journey you will ever take if in fact you want to change. You have to actually commit to the process and then you actually have to change. <laughs> and 80% and of the people that start with me bail because I am no BS. I, if you're, I'm committing and you need to commit to me. We commit to each other and we go on this journey. One of my clients calls me a Sherpa. He said, Paul will take you up the mountain, but he will not carry your pack. <laughs> it's not my job to carry your pack. It's my job to help you get to the top. Every leader needs to have that attitude. We were having a conversation on LinkedIn with somebody today who had put a post out about feelings, which is something you mentioned right at the beginning. And there were some responses to the post. And I have to say it was mainly the males. Oh, feelings, you know, I feel really uncomfortable as soon as I hear the word. And that is... Um, to be challenging for many people to get comfortable with having conversations around feelings and that's by the way rebecca i'm sorry that's bullshit too okay Good don't think the guys have feelings absolutely we do. look at the guy next to you i'm I not saying they don't i'm saying yeah. they feel uncomfortable the guys were saying they feel oh. uncomfortable with discussing right. feelings. i'm not saying well, they have I, feelings. yes I, I would absolutely agree with you that that and again i said it earlier professional is how leaders have been trained. That doesn't cut it. Personal now is a part of the process. By the way, if you are, look, no growth in the comfort zone. No. Don't step outside it. Only growth outside the comfort zone. Be uncomfortable. It's a part of the deal. It's a part of change. It's part of growth. So no, and I, I believe that that men have hid behind a stereotype. Yeah. Not having those feelings and not being willing to be authentic or vulnerable. And that's a part of being a leader now. Tell people about your failures. I, I'm shocked by how leaders run away from their failures. Embrace your failures. They are going to be half your life. I, I love the symbol of yin and yang because it is a combination of the good things and the bad things that happen to you in your life. And if you don't embrace the bad things, half of your life disappears on you. You know, Frank Sinatra's saying was, don't hide your scars, you've earned them. 
leaders need to be willing to share the, their vulnerability by, by sharing their failures, by sharing the fact that they don't always know what's right and what's wrong, and they are not infallible. Right? When we say it's lonely at the top, that's because leaders have made it lonely. They've not allowed people in. And they believe that that's the way they're supposed to be, stoic. Oh my, <laughs> that's not life. So why would you want to take that to work with you? It makes you miserable and everybody else miserable. Yeah. There was uh, something you said uh, a while back there, Paul, which I kind of want to just come back to briefly because we started talking about it at the start of the podcast, which is about, you know, having trust in your employees and, and you know, not, not treating them like you don't have that and then causing them to be an untrustworthy person. And it sort of sounds like, you know, one of the main things that people want is to simply just be understood, right? And I think that was kind of something that you were touching on about five minutes ago. <laughs> there's, 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 there's two other topics that I want to come on to because I know you wanted to talk about embracing failure and building a legacy, which we kind of just touched upon there. So where do you see those sort of two topics um, kind of combining with the, with all the things that we've touched on already? Well, well, first, I don't... The only thing I'm interested in coaching is people who want to develop a legacy because that's positive person. If you're a short-term leader and all you're doing is trying to churn the profit, I'm not interested in that. You can do that on your own. You can succeed. You can fail. Legacy is about looking at a commitment to your to the organization, to those who are in the organization, and to yourself to build a positive thing. Whether it be positive relationships with customers or with employees, it is about having stakeholders. And the reality of, of legacy is you can't do it by yourself. I'm, I'm shocked at how many leaders believe by their, you know, we've got this, we've got this, we believe in the personality cult of leaders. The charismatic leader is just going to, it does he's just going to bull through, right? That doesn't work. It never has worked. If there's not a team there with you that supports you in your endeavor, you can't possibly succeed. We are team-based at every level of the organization. And if you exclude yourself from the team, all you've done is, is make sure that you're not going to succeed and not gonna build a legacy. And the concept of team is all about trust. I truly believe that, the, that, that work will be performed by self-directed teams. Hmm. It, it's been around for a long time, it's coming back. And by the way, that eliminates managers. <laughs> teams are not about managers. What, what you will see happen, I believe, is you will have a cadre of experts. I've already mentioned them, coaches, mediators, facilitators, mentors. And when a team has difficulty, they will call for one of those experts to come and resolve a conflict between the team members or two teams. Uh, and, and that's what we're going to see happen. Why? Well, then we can have people who have the expertise necessary to actually accomplish some of these things. Think about what we ask. We, I, when we talk about managers, one of the reasons they fail is we expect so much out of them. And there is no way they can have the skill sets necessary to meet the needs of the modern workforce. The modern workforce is smart. They're, they're not standing at an assembly line doing one widget to another widget. What do we ask them to do? Well, we ask them to be innovative and we ask them to have ideas and we ask them to be creative. And then we treat them like they're an assembly line. It's like, well, what the hell? So I'll just sit here all day long and, you know, and play, I'll play Tetris. So, so what we're looking at here is a self-directed team is all about being able to do all of the things 
that leaders and their organization wants, but they're going to have to do it in a different way. And it requires trust. Trust is the, trust is the, if we're going to have relationships that are meaningful, we start with the basis of trust. If you have, you don't have trust in the other person, how can you ever have a meaningful relationship? You can't, it will be transactional. So you've got to trust that I'm not going to hurt you. Then in fact, I am going to do what's, what's to the benefit of the organization. And then you need to give me the tools so I can actually do that. I would very much agree. I think it kind of goes back to uh, as quite, yeah, like what we're saying, doesn't it? Leading, coaching versus managing, micromanaging and, and, and kind of things like that. I think we've covered we've covered a lot of topics in, in quite a short space of time. I can see it's an area you're, you're, you're very passionate about, Paul. As we sort of draw towards a, a close of the podcast, are there, any, are there any topics you feel like we haven't touched on or any kind of like... Um, any sort of final thoughts you'd like? Sure, to only 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 thoughts. another four only another four hours. That's all I need. <laughs> Just keep going. Up. Let's it down into four or five minutes. Uh, no, I think I think you have given me latitude, great latitude, and I appreciate it. Uh, obviously, uh, I I am passionate about this, and it's always good to be talking to people who share that same level of of response to what needs to happen. The future of work has got to be different. Uh, and and that, that and it is a it's the status quo fights hard because it doesn't people are the, the people in charge want to remain in charge and when they see that that the the empowerment when we talk about empowerment we're talking about a handoff of power and believe me it is not in the human human psyche to give up power easily and and what we see with the great resignation once again the employees are taking it. Amazon, they have lost their first election to a union. And this is an indication that if you don't do this with us, we will, we will suddenly develop our own power structure. And then we're going to be engaged in a fight instead of collaboration and, and compromise we're going to be in a struggle and you don't want that. And so it is a question of coming to the realization that the workforce has changed and that therefore leadership has to change to accommodate the needs of the workforce. It is a partnership. If, if we could say boil this down into, let's say one key thing that a leader or a manager could take away from this conversation, I think there's many. But if you could maybe boil it down to one thing that they could go away and implement into their teams tomorrow, what do you think that would be for? I, I think I've already said it and I'll repeat it. Uh, I am going, I believe that that relationship building is what every leader needs to do now. Mm -hmm. So go in tomorrow morning and decide that they are going to meet and understand their workforce one-on-one -on -one. and I'm going to start with my executive team and I'm going to decide who can make this pivot and who can't because we were really quick to get rid of employees that we don't believe fit. We let the managers hang out forever. I, 
just crazy what managers get away with. Well, you know, they're part of the management team. Jesus Christ. Everybody in the, in the, in the company is a part of the team. Why, why are they different? Why are they treated? Well, you know, Joe's been there 20 years. Yeah, I know. How about if you just give him a nice fat severance package and get him out of the way because he is actually impeding. So, so I guess again, too many words. You said, what would I tell them to do tomorrow morning? Start to develop relationships and make a decision about getting rid of the working dead. The working dead are those that should have been fired yesterday and they're still there and they are not interested in improving the company or the team that they're on. Give permission for the working dead to disappear and clean out your management group accordingly. No one should be exempt. Once you start making people exempt, other people see that they get away with what they do and you don't. All you do is generate inequality and people aren't going to accept that anymore. Well, thank you, Paul. You've been very forthright. You've been very clear. It has been no BS. Absolutely, it has. <laughs> been very specific, and that's fantastic. If somebody would like to get in touch with you, Paul, what's the best way for them to do that? So your chance now to say uh, how they could reach you if they want to. Uh, it is paul at paulglovercoaching.com if anyone wants to contact me, or LinkedIn is Paul Glover Coaching. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much for sharing your opinions, your views. I am with you on what you're saying. There is a shakeup and it is needed. So thank you for that. Yeah, really insightful views, Paul. Thanks very much for sharing uh, sharing your thoughts with us on the podcast today. And uh, really nice to meet and chat with you. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you very much for giving me the opportunity, obviously, expressed by many opinions to you and to your audience. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the RJEN, RJEN.co.uk website.